We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Valuable player, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Giannis trailing the lob. Oh. Giannis Antetokounmpo. Two seconds. Middleton. Yes! Chris Middleton. Hey there, welcome to the Eurostep, a Milwaukee Bucks podcast, proudly a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network and the Eurostep Podcast Network. I am Ty Windish. I am joined as always by my reader. It's not really a good adjective. Co-host Rohan Kadi. Yeah, thanks much. (laughs) Rohan, how's it going? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, We are one week removed. Exactly one week as we record, which feels impossible. It feels like it's been a decade and also two seconds. Yes. A lot's happened in terms of like emotions, processing, stuff like that. It's just been a whirlwind. I have to like realize, oh my God, I have to pay attention to my actual life now. Like I can't just use the bucks as like a mirage, but here we are. I'm doing great. We have a great guest. Ty, who do we have? We do. We have a writer at The Ringer. And for our purposes, sorry, The Ringer, much more importantly, author of the Giannis book. I believe it's called The Improbable Rise of an NBA MVP but everyone knows it as the Giannis book, Mirren Fader. Mirren, thank you so much for joining us. We are so excited to talk about Giannis, the book, and and this whole journey of, you know, doing all of this in this wild world as the Bucks go on this run. This has been so crazy. Hi. (laughs) I'm happy to be here. You guys do such a great job. And, you know, as you were saying, it's only been a week. I'm like, Oh my God, it's actually only been a week. Time flies. It really does, especially when it's just just like a massive thing like this. Oh my God, just crazy. So crazy. You guys must be so happy. Yes. Happy, yes. Happy for sure. Just relieved, I guess, is like an emotion. Because I've said this before many a time. This playoff run broke me. Just emotionally, (laughs) I was... Wasn't, it wasn't great. It wasn't pretty. That game three pot against Brooklyn will live on forever. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we should get into it. This book was amazing. Uh, we had the oh. chance to read it. Uh, I read it again yesterday and I started crying all over again. I was like, this is incredible. One, because it's just, it's an incredibly well-written book. It's just a masterpiece. And everyone, everyone, before we even get into it, go pre-order the book. 
go make sure you pre-order this book. Make sure you support this wonderful author because it is wonderful. You're going to love it. So let's get into this. We just said we're one week removed from the NBA championship that was secured by the Milwaukee Bucks. If you were, let's say, if you were going to write another edition, something to this extent, we won't say a book, whatever, the future holds something. Let's say that happens. What would you focus on from this Bucks run? Well, first, thank you so much for the kind words. I really, really appreciate that. Um, I think for me, I would focus on the mental toughness. I mean, sure, you know, it's easy for us to look at him from our couches and try to put ourselves in our in his shoes while people are counting down and humiliating him. And there's all this slander on the internet. And I just think for all his physical gifts, for all the 40-point games, for all the 50-point game at the end, all the athleticism we saw on display, the mental fortitude to do what he did is just simply unreal. And he just doesn't get enough credit for that mental toughness and his basketball IQ and all of the intangible things that you know so many people have fallen in love with. So I think I would focus on that more. We want to, uh, we're going to do another podcast. I'll spoil that now. Plans have already been made for a deep dive into more just specifically on the book. But this one, we want to talk more about currently and and some of the book parts that have already gone viral somehow. But um, just from reading the book again um, and just thinking about Giannis's story, was it almost like a perfectly, like a microcosm of his whole life journey, like this playoff run, like the incredible highs and lows, like, Obviously not to the same extent, I think, as, you know, Giannis's upbringing when he was younger, of course. But the fact that it wasn't perfect at at all, I mean, they go down so horribly to Brooklyn. He has a really bad game in the Brooklyn series. People are saying he's not a franchise player, not a number one. And then, of course, against Atlanta, it looks like he's going to be out for a calendar year, a full season plus the rest of the playoffs. And he's back for game one of the finals. The fact that he just gets through all that adversity. I think a lot about the Bucks changed that allowed them to power through, like you said, with the mental toughness. But this almost felt like just what Giannis does his whole life in this playoff run of like, just keep going and find a way. Yeah, with him, it's like when you have gone through literal hunger or evictions, you know, being so young and your parents just saying, we have to leave nothing really gets him too high or too low. So he's able to very much be an even keel person, even as everything around him is going so haywire and so crazy. He just has a a comfortability in hard moments. I thought him crying at the end on the chair after winning was also such a microcosm of everything because you can see that kind of deep emotion only comes from a person who has dealt with a lot and has overcome a lot, even just in those three weeks alone or however long that stretch was. You know, we always talk about athletes being built differently. I think Giannis is built differently in terms of mentally how he is able to compartmentalize pain and push through things that would break other people. You know, he used to tell his brothers all the time, you know, the tallest towers in the world can still be knocked down or it's normal for the mind to relax. You have to get right back into it. 
And I just think that th- those are things he says to himself. And those are things that keep him going, even when everybody else is like, oh my God, it's over. Oh my God. Oh my God. There's just no panic in him, I think. It's it's really interesting you bring it up because it seems like, obviously, you've gotten a sort of connection to Giannis through this process, through this journey of writing this book. And you said this before, you've sort of become like an adopted fan of this yes. <laughs> In sort of a respect, I, I found myself, like I said, I mentioned, I read this again yesterday and I just, this was the first time I'd read a post-championship and I was thinking there's so many just parallels. I'm not going to spoil it, obviously, but there's like, I can feel myself saying like, oh, this moment led to this and that's just beautiful. This led to this. And it's just like, how did, did you feel that sort of thing as you're seeing like Giannis celebrate? Like, oh, I can trace back these moments and see them paying off in real time. Is that something that went through your mind? Yeah, like, um, you know, the mean mug. I'm like, oh my God, remember that one time where you had to practice it in the mirror because (laughs) you just didn't have it? It wasn't natural. Or him, you know, when they flash to him and he's telling his teammates, let's go, you know, he's being very vocal and I'm flashing back to the kid chapters where you couldn't pay Giannis to open his mouth, you know, and he doesn't doesn't want to speak up. I, I think we're just watching the maturation of a person happen in real time. He's 26 years old. And it is fun to look back in the book and see these moments. You know, I just mentioned like the crying on the bench, as you both know, like that early section about he would cry in public in Greece because he was so hard on himself when he didn't play well. And then to come to Milwaukee as a rookie and Larry Drew, the former coach would spot him on the bench tearing up and had to be like, we don't cry in the NBA. You can't do this. And so again, I just, I see that same vulnerable, sensitive person. Um, and I would call it emotional intelligence. Um, so yeah, there's so many parallels. It's just funny. Like the bulls incident, you know, when he like, (laughs) beelined for Dunleavy and, and you see that fire and, um, you know, it's just the first time where he really just just showed what he was made of in a, in a way like that. And and then you see that fire now in these finals. It's it's crazy. It's really it's really something. So you got invested a bit into the Bucks fan <laughs> experience. There were some all caps text exchange, especially during the <laughs> Brooklyn series. Um, but what was it like for you? I mean, Obviously not a, a lifelong Bucks fan, but kind of quickly indoctrinated through this process. And of course, you know, getting to know whether through talking to him and his family, obviously the the Alex Atetokounmpo feature you had previously written, as well as, you know, talking to hundreds of Bucks and former Bucks and other, you know, people who know Giannis, like, what was it like with that kind of added sense of, I mean, I think we all feel like we know Giannis, but most of us haven't sat down with that many people and really like dedicated hours and hours and hours to trying to know Giannis well enough to write his story. So what was it like for you to watch? I mean, the whole playoff run, but especially, you know, him actually take over game six, having his finest game to win the Bucks a championship. I mean, as you alluded to, my text messages were just (laughs) out of control. And you know, I have the stream of consciousness style. Everyone in my life is like, hate this about me. And they've just accepted that that's how I type. And so the bucks were just making me crazy sometimes, you know, just breaking from three. I'm just yelling at the TV, like, please, for the love of God, go to the basket. 
And I'm just have not been this emotional because, you know, I don't, I'm not supposed to root for teams. I'm a journalist, but I'm so invested in this. And it's funny because it was really important for me to talk to Bucks fans and longtime Bucks fans for the book and Milwaukee natives, because in order to understand what Giannis means to the city, you have to understand the ethos of the people that have been there before him and after him. And they always describe this mindset to me as like hopeful worry. You know, we're hoping, <laughs> we're hoping, but we know the bucks might bucks and we're stressed and it's a toxic cycle. And I'm just going through all these emotions and I'm deep on bucks Twitter and I'm making friends with everyone. And everyone is actually so nice to me. And I, now I like relate to them. Like, Oh my God, I get this hopeful worry concept. You know, I I'm get so it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I get it now, you know, and uh, God, I just, you know, I haven't felt like this in a really long time, but I also, you know, I feel this way with other athletes that I profile, like LaMelo Ball, when I watch him, there's just a part of me that's like, just human to human, like, oh my God, I remember you as a 15 year old talking with you about this hard things in your life. And so when I saw Giannis in these playoffs, I just, I just kept picturing the young him, you know, talking with his childhood friends. They talked about going to the top of this mountain in Athens and looking out at all the famous sites and all the rich things around them and just dreaming that they could be there. And this friend sent me a photo of them and that photo is in the book and just looking at a young Giannis, you know, probably 14 in that picture. And then thinking of that as I watch him on the screen, it's just so crazy. You know, um, I'll never sit here and say, I know an athlete through and through because you could know someone for years and you don't even know them, you know, but talking with 221 people, talking with a family, talking with so many people close to him, including him. I think I just have such an appreciation for all the things it took to get him there. And the one thing I always hear about people is like, you could just tell Giannis feels so grateful to be there. He just still has the same gratitude. And it just makes sense to me in ways it hadn't before embarking on this book. Like, of course, he still has that gratitude. He is only 10 years removed from picking up a ball, really, for the first time. He is still dealing with processing his childhood and his teenage years. And so I know I'm rambling, but yeah, it is just very surreal to watch him on there because you know how he started. It's it's not like a fan. Like you said, oh, I'm a journalist. I shouldn't be a fan. It's more like connecting with the human experience right. because I feel like this isn't, it's not a basketball story by any means, this book. Right. It's, it's a story about the human experience that revolves around a basketball player. That's how I right. perceived it. Right. And right. so you just, you form these emotional connections and that's how like, that's how the city of Milwaukee feels like you're, right. you're being indoctrinated into the fan base, not because of <laughs> basketball, but because right. of the emotional connections with that have been forged. Am I interpreting that right? You are. And you know what? It just, you're exactly right. And it also made me think of the, you know, the one thing that I hear from a lot of Milwaukee fans is we love Giannis because we feel like we watched him grow up. And there's something very special about that. And that is why they are, that bond is so close between fans and Giannis. And it also reminded me, I'm so curious how you guys feel about this too. I don't mean to bring us to another place, but what it must be like watching people fall in love with Giannis for the first time. Cause I'm getting echoes of 2013 to 14 right now. 
I, I've heard from people that know nothing about basketball that are like, oh my God, this Giannis guy, like he's so interesting and so compelling and just so thoughtful and so humble. And it's almost like when he was a rookie and everyone was falling in love with him and, and finding him to be so endearing. It's like happening all over again on a bigger stage. It is. It's been, what's wild to me is, I mean, that's been great. And it's always, I think Giannis is such a great player and person to get people into basketball. Um, I, my favorite Giannis thing still is just his like absolute lack of any sort of fear toward failure. I mean, the clip of mm-hmm. him and PJ Tucker talking about right. these airballed free throws and, and everything else. And it's, it's just phenomenal. It's who he is. But my favorite thing is like diehard fans, like, try as they might can't seem to dislike him. And I think that's so mm-hmm. cool. Like when I watched the, the Chick-fil-A Instagram live, live, um, <laughs> an iconic moment. I, w- I really want to get your thoughts on that as well. But <laughs> I was really expecting like, like, you know, you know, just how Twitter, how the internet is like, Oh, he's holding up the whole line and you know, everything. Oh, he's getting 50 for the points he scored. Like, what is this? And like everybody else, I was just like, this is incredible. Like, this is great. Like this guy took the trophies to stole the trophies, went to Chick-fil-A. <laughs> I love that. It was just like Mariah drove him. It was just like them in the car. Like that's not how NBA superstars operate, but that's Giannis. And for me, just seeing like everyone be pretty positive of like, it's, he's unimpeachable now. I mean, he dropped 50 points, you know, a lot of them just him scoring all sorts of different ways, 17 and 19 from free throw to close out the finals. And I don't think he did anything very unlikable throughout you know, the whole process. I mean, you look at right after he does that, he goes and finds his family first. He has the moment on the bench. He calls TA, which I, I have a couple of TA questions to ask. And then he, at some point after cussing on TV and shouting out Chris and Bud and everyone else, he goes and gets Monty Williams and brings him to the Bucks locker room mm-hmm. just to like, to be all, the ultimate sign of respect. And it's just like, it just feels like he's made so few moves, even over the last emotional draining few weeks that it's, it's that are unlikable. And I just think it's, that's him. I mean, he's just always been him. And I just think it's been so cool to see, someone succeed without a ton of resentment coming. So I think that's all too common, especially in sports. Yeah. Well, and because he, that is a testament to how genuine he is and how much people can feel that, you know, um, my favorite part of the Chick-fil-A thing was that he asked the woman, do you mind if I, you know, again, it's like that he doesn't try to do that. That's just that's who he is. He's just very thoughtful. And that's why when I see people say, Oh, can he be the face of the league? Is he relatable? I'm like, he's like the most relatable, like, like you can't find someone more relatable or likable, you know, if he's not, I mean, look, I've been trying to profile Joker for a minute and I look at his personality. Mm. I look at, I look at Giannis's personality. It's just so clear to me that they're both fantastic players, but Giannis's personality is just so vivacious and you would want to market him. You know, I don't know how he doesn't have a a sponsor deal from literally everyone. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I just, I think that um, the narrative has shifted so much. I mean, we talked about, it's only been a week, but you know, three weeks ago, everyone was like, he sucks. Yeah. I mean, it's just so stupid. Um, (laughs) really it's just so stupid um because he is yeah and now everyone's like have you seen a more likable player um so 
I don't get how these things are written. My favorite part about the Chick-fil-A thing actually was, uh, it, it's it's my recent favorite because I just thought of this as I was rereading. I have like a full page of notes here. There was like, there's a, there's a line. On you have a, a full page of, no- oh, I thought you meant just on the, the Chick-fil-A IG live. Yes, no, I thought you just had I wrote a full typed essay. up. Yeah, 600 <laughs> words, just breaking down. There was a lot that happened, really. There was like, a really, lot. His order alone is probably a couple hundred words. There you go. But the, the line I was drawn to was, uh, I'm not going to give the context, I'm not going to spoil the book, but Giannis was thrilled, especially when they took him to get a giant meal of chicken wings and Sprite. Oh, and it's yeah. like, that just translates to the first thing he does after the title is go right. get Chick-fil-A with the, he added, he added lemonade to the sprite now but uh right those right. sort of parallels that's what i found to be the most interesting that's, that's the evolution just it made the chick-fil-a moment even that much more sweeter and just you're right he's a very likable player and actually the reason he probably doesn't have like so many sponsors sponsorship deals he probably turns them down yes yes he does and you know it's funny though because what you just said i forgot about that that's a really good connection you just made the, the one anecdote that I really love that really just shows he's never quite outgrown this like big kid, um, you know, way of approaching things in these restaurants is like he would go with his best friend at the time, Ross Geiger, to Chili's late at night to get, you know, similar kind of food because they had the specials and the deals. And Cheesecake Factory was what he called his fancy meal. And, you know, on his birthday, they would give him, you know, the Sunday and Giannis didn't realize the custom of getting a free Sunday on your birthday. And he goes, Ross, I think they gave it to me because my three magic letters, NBA. <laughs> and Ross is like, no, Giannis, they do that on your birthday, you know? So I just think even though obviously he knows that those customs now, he hasn't lost that, that boyish innocence that we all find so endearing. And that's why people love the Chick-fil-A too. <laughs> I, I can't wait for again I'm just going to keep teasing it the second pod because I want to dive into some of the stories not obviously not the whole book everyone go buy okay. the book now buy the book again once it's out but some of the like a bunch of the Greece stuff I had no idea about but the mm-hmm. early Milwaukee stuff like just not a lot of that got out because most media outside of you know the local folks you know that really had been doing this for a long time like no one cared nationally about the Bucks and Giannis yet so I was learning some things and I was like, these stories from like, you know, with him and the trainers and coaches are, are just absolutely incredible. Um, but I want to ask about Thanasis as it relates mm-hmm. to this run, because I think a great year for Thanasis overall NBA wise, I think he proved that he can be a role player. I think he won Rohan and myself and a lot of other people over. Me also, before Ty, just so the records. Work. Yep, that's fair. <laughs> uh, and, and more so, and more so. You were you were going for a TA playoff minutes. I wasn't quite there, but maybe by next postseason, I'll be on board with that too. But um, but I think, and also, you know, quotes like Giannis talking about he drives me to be more of a vocal leader. We mentioned earlier that he has been bigger in this role. I do think having Thanasis around for that reason alone was great. Um, and I think you know, one thing about Giannis being a vocal leader, just quickly, I love that the Bucks just released all access today for game six and he wasn't like over the top of trying to be inspirational before that game. It was just all business. Cause I think everyone was tight and he was kind of trying to keep it low key. Like it's just one of those things, like he's not going to go out and yell before every game. And it's, it feels like he's really feeling the vibes of the team and, and making the right calls. But um, Thanasis not being able to be at games five and six and only partially in the championship celebration. Although I think 
by the end of the celebration, I think Giannis just didn't care anymore. And those two were hanging out. But, you know, what what did you kind of learn about T.A. as, as you researched and ended the book? And, you know, how tough was it for you to see him, you know, only on IG Live with Giannis, not able to be there? Because obviously those two have been through so much together. Yeah, it was. I felt really bad because I know how much Thanasis means to him. And, you know, it's funny because when they were kids, Giannis was the tag along. He was Thanasis' brother. Like, that's how they, that's how people saw them. You know, Thanasis was a basketball player. Giannis was a skinny guy who played basketball, but he wasn't basketball player yet. And they grow up and little brothers' dreams bloom before big brothers. And, you know, what I loved about the NASA is that he was never jealous. He was never resentful. He was so happy for Giannis. He has always been happy. I mean, one of my favorite anecdotes was when the scouts came to uh, the practice to watch Giannis. Thanasis was guarding his brother and he was making it really hard on him. <laughs> you know, if that was me, I would be like, uh, okay, dummy defense dominate me so you can go to the NBA and, and star, you know, but he was making it hard. He was fouling Giannis um, again. So it's just, it's that competitiveness and, and wanting the best out of, out of him. And, um, you know, just the saying that I mentioned, like no tower is too tall to get knocked down. I think that just says everything about how Thanasis believes that you can do the impossible. And he always made his youngest, you know, his younger brother believe that, um, I think that as they got older and I learned about the Nassus's journey and, you know, him just telling me like, it was hard. I had to be patient. Like I had to take a different road. You know, he had to go to Spain. He had to go to Andorra. He had to go to all these other places. And, you know, for them to continue to be so close and believing in each other was just really special to see. And I think that, you know, everything that Giannis wants to be that's what his brother is. And they're different, you know, they're very different, but I think that Giannis just is in awe of his brother and whatever he says to him, if he says, you need to play harder, that there's nothing worse that you can say to Giannis that his brother saying that to him. So yeah, I think Vanessa's has proved that he belongs. Cause I think, you know, when he got signed, it was kind of like, Oh yeah, like you're just here. So Giannis can sign the supermax, Like I, you know, and a lot of scouts that I talked to and agents in Greece were like, yeah, Vanessa's was not considered a talented basketball player. He was just in Giannis's shadow. And so it's just nice to see him have his own time in the sun because he's been working just as hard this whole time. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? 
you need indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, that's something I'd like to usually point out when uh, we get into discussions about the Nasus and his role on this team is like, are you, have you seen Giannis and his work ethic? <laughs> a lot of that, that's, it's the same family. It's the same mm-hmm. brothers. Like he's going to work hard. We've seen that development over the past few years in his time in Milwaukee and just such a short span. We've seen him develop his skills, get so much better. Why he's won me over as like someone who I think should be, have like a role on this team, but it's just, I don't know. It's just incredible. It makes the moment where Malika Andrews is just like asking at the end, uh, uh, what did she say? It's like, oh, now all three brothers that have played in the NBA are now NBA champions, and he yeah. just lets Woo! his emotions out. That was yes, great. Exactly. It just yeah. makes that moment so much sweeter because you yeah. get into in the book about like how close these guys are. And you yeah. just see that story develop. And it's like getting that moment in that sun, it's just like I can't, there's no words. I can just let out emotion in that moment. And that's just it's incredible to see that. It really is. Uh well, I- Sorry. I was going to say, as Kostas was telling me, you know, it's crazy because a decade ago, we didn't even play basketball. You know, think about that. Like, we take it for granted because we sort of know the loose outline of their story, but like literally as a family, they did not. And, you know, I think today, Alex, the youngest one, worked out for the Pacers, which just had me like so, um, what is the word? Just, I won't say like emotional, but just you know, I talked with Alex two years ago for the first time, and he was this kind of like uncertain 16, 17 year old. And he's literally in an NBA workout right now. You know, everything Giannis prophesies is kind of coming true. I mean, at the time in 2019, when Giannis says, oh, my younger brother can be better than me. All of my brothers, I want them to be in the NBA. We were all just kind of like, yeah, okay. But they've really done it. You know, they've really done it. That is miraculous. Yeah. It's... I know we were talking before on Twitter. They should just take him. Just take him at 31. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Buy 49 and take him. He can be the second highest drafted to Teddy Kumpo if they take him at 49. I believe Giannis, of course, first round. But then I think the Nassus was 50 and Costas yeah. was 60. So and it's, right. getting drafted in that spot is fine. I think just you can Bucks can buy a pick and get in there. I honestly I thought he was gonna be able to buy a pick. You can always buy a pick <laughs> in the late in the late second round. But honestly, I, I didn't think he was going to get drafted. There had just hadn't been much buzz. I know he went overseas and played in I think division three or four in Spain mostly. He signed with a, a, a higher division team but didn't play there as much. But I do think it's interesting. The Pacers, the team to work him out, they do have picks fifty-four and sixty. So mm-hmm. a real shot he does get picked. And I think you know, it would be cool, even if it's 60, to have all four of them even just get drafted and, and be NBA players in, in that sense. And I do think if they if they draft him, he'll play a bit in the league at least. That is really, really cool. And everyone is going to make the jokes, you know. Does Indy think Giannis is going to demand a trade there or whatever else? But right. I, I think... I'm not ready. 
No, no, we're not. We're not there. But Indy's gonna. Giannis is gonna demand a trade. Well, I think, I think people are gonna make fun of Indy. Like, why are you drafting Giannis's brother? He's already locked say, up. It's, it's well. But it, it is a hilarious. Yeah, they they would be like Twitter is gonna be insufferable. I always can't. is. Always is. But I want to go play for the Pacers. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he's gonna go. Where did Costa sign? Maybe he's gonna go back overseas. Uh, was it Greece? Did Costa sign in Greece? Yeah, he signed for Olympiacos. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, but it is a testament to all four of them. Like it's not all Giannis. Like I think if they couldn't play at all, they get, you know, training camp invites or summer league, like getting drafted, like it shows they all work their tails off. And I find Alex, especially fascinating because it feels like he is the most Americanized of the Mm -hmm. four really growing up over here and going to high school, all of high school over here. And I just think it's super interesting. Even in your feature, I should have reread it right before this. I didn't. But I kind of remember some lines, even maybe from Giannis about that, of just like, he's got a different journey than the rest of us. Yeah, like Giannis said, and I think I included this in the book too, it's it's easy to be motivated when you have everything. Um, you know, Alice growing up in the private school system, Giannis didn't know where the next meal was coming from. You know, it's just totally different. It's so funny because right before the pandemic, I flew to Milwaukee uh, again in late February of last year, and I met up with Alex, and he just seemed so much bigger and older, and and sure of himself. And I know that's what happens to like 17, 18 year old men. <laughs> like I know that that is a critical jump, um, but he just seems so much older and just so much more sure of what he wanted and where he was going. And I kind of felt he was a bit uncertain the year before and wasn't quite sure if he could do what his brothers are doing. And I just saw a more focused and more, um, I don't know, confident young man. So it is really cool what they've done. I mean, you know, the NBA, I think, and this is why I think they should do a better job with storytelling. All of their stories should be everywhere. Every single brother. It's really miraculous and it isn't covered enough, I think. Speaking of stories to be told, uh, Ty, you like that one? Yeah, I did. Uh, <laughs> that was good. Okay. <laughs> uh, you, you, uh, you've gotten to know like a lot of Giannis' teammates. You mentioned that there's a, there's a lot of interviews with teammates, former teammates in the book. If you had to pick a current Milwaukee Buck to write a feature on, to, to, to tell their story, who would it be and why? Mm. Bobby Portis, hands down. Oh, wow. No hesitation. The perfect answer for Rohan. Oh, my God. Like, I'm so – I'm just so enamored by his game and his journey and his hustle. I just love guys like that. You can tell that Bobby has an insane amount of belief in himself, and I don't think we can appreciate how hard his journey is. I mean, think about, like – what what is the percentage of guys that make the NBA like less than one percent or something or point one or something? Bobby, like I, I I can't say it enough. Like he just he played his role so well and he made this incredible leap. Um, I love it. I really would love to profile him. I think my one of my favorite Bobby things is. I think he's been surprisingly for, you know, a role player who's not going to be focused on a ton, although he is Bobby, so he kind of is, but pretty candid about like going through like depression and and just having a really hard time during the pandemic, seeing the rest of the, most of the rest of the league in the bubble 
and his team not being there, like that really got to him. And I think it was cool of him. It was for him and not that, you know, he should, he had an obligation to, but the fact that he shared that when talking about this and feels like he's been very candid all along, but in a very, like he is so genuinely Bobby in in such a cool way. And I think, you know, I I think really turning a lot of narrative in multiple ways this year, right? Like not even just, you know, good stats, bad team guy. No, the guy doesn't play any defense. And I think, he got better on defense this year, but that's that's how you turn a narrative like that. But also, I mean, like the Miritich thing, I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, he's kind of talked about that more and it's come up that like, I, I didn't sucker punch him. Like, it's a story you can ask, but they, they kept me and offered me the qualifying offer and, and traded him. So come to your own conclusions, basically. So I, I think it's been such a cool year for him. I feel like he got the perfect result that he probably wanted when signing with the Bucks. right, is image rehab, you know, really prove to myself, I think first and everyone else that I can do this on this high level. And right. now he's got a chance to cash out and good for him. And I think Bucks fans are very understanding of that's kind of how this is probably going to work with him. Would be great if right. he stayed, would love if he stayed. If you can get $80 million guaranteed, Bobby, go right ahead. But it, it's been awesome to watch him this year on the court and just talk about a guy Milwaukee has embraced quickly. I mean, the oh Bobby chance, like, Second only to Giannis in fan excitement, I think. Totally. I'm going to manifest a Bobby profile right there. He's talking to everyone right now. I mean, if you. He is literally talking to everyone. You could probably just add him right now on, hey, Bobby, would love to talk for a story. You're going to get a DM. We've tried it. It hasn't worked for us, but. It'll just hop into Twitter space right away. Yeah, okay, let's do it. We can transcribe this later. So I want to talk a little bit about some parts of the the book that you released a, an excerpt, a great excerpt. Okay. Again, it's does not it's a drop in the bucket of the great Giannis stuff in this book. Um, but it, it was still it was awesome to, to see everyone else who wasn't fortunate enough to be able to read it so far react to some of these stories. I love that the Nick Batum thing took <laughs> off. And I love it for I don't love it for one reason. I'll tell you why I don't love it, Mirren, and I wish you picked a different section. That is a vet men candidate for the Milwaukee Bucks who is not no, going to sign not. him. He is not, not anymore. No, he's he's not. not. What do you he mean? No, he's not. T- no, he's not. Come on, man. He's staying with the Clippers. I don't, I don't, they have other forwards. They need to worry about staying with the Clippers first. I don't think Nick Batum is a priority, but he's definitely not staying now or he's not coming to Milwaukee now that he read this Sorry. excerpt about. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> it's, it did bum me out a little bit, but he's probably staying anyway. But I think that was extra funny, and I did, I liked it because, like, now it wasn't just Giannis's. Was it Oppenheimer who said that? I forget. Yeah, yeah. It was Oppenheimer. I remember Adam and McGee and I, another host here on a Eurostep Podcast Network, we had that conversation completely mm-hmm. independently of just like, oh, if he could be Batum, because that Portland Batum year, like, he was mm-hmm. quite good. Like, I think he almost he had the he didn't average, but I think he had a five by five or something like. Just a very good player. And this was still in the era of like, oh, can Giannis be a number two to Jabari around that time? Or like, what can, can Giannis grow into? I think we evolved in, in about a year from Batum and then Scottie Pippen, right? Of like, oh, he could be a champion, like a dynasty level number two. And then obviously he kept growing. But, you know, did you think that that, that part of that excerpt would catch on like this either during the interview or, or when you decided to release that part? And, and what was your reaction to everyone just dying laughing over Giannis roasting Nick Batum. Well, the funniest thing is I thought the same thing that you did when I found the anecdote, I was like, wait, but 
he's Nick, the tomb was like really good. Like, yeah. are you sure? Are you sure Yana <laughs> said that? And then, you know, Oppenheimer is cracking up. He's like, totally. And then I asked two other coaches and they were like, he definitely said that. <laughs> so I was just like, okay, so we got three assistant coaches talking about this. Um, so I would felt confident in it, you know, at, with the excerpts, you know, we have a couple more coming. It's kind of, you know, this is a new process to me. So it's, you know, which section works. And with the finals, we wanted to choose one that had some sort of semblance to what we were seeing in the finals. And the the chapter nine mean made sense because we saw the mean mug so much in the finals. Um, and, you know, they, they liked the Batum nugget. I personally did not think that that was going to be crazy. You know, I don't really think like that. I don't, you know, as you know, I'm just like a very big nerd that just likes to report <laughs> and write. I don't really, I'm not on social media like that. Like I still don't have Instagram. And, um, so I was very, very surprised. Um, but the funniest part is I was actually supposed to profile the tomb, um, during the, <laughs> during the playoffs. And we were a couple of days away from scheduling it. And I was thinking like, oh shit, like I hope it comes <laughs> out before the excerpt. And um, <laughs> and then Batum had a really bad final game. And so the, oh. the story got the story got killed because you know oh, it wasn't it wasn't that, like Is that yeah. when you picked the excerpt? Is that when you're like, all right, <laughs> this part, this part. Well, I kind of was like, phew, but then I was like, well, I guess you can't ever profile him now, you know. <laughs> And I really like him, you know, I, I pitched him because I love his story just in general. And with the Clippers, it was your classic redemption story. And so, but I can't help that Giannis said that. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it's showed a little bit of spice, uh, uh, you know, he wasn't just this adorable guy, just happy to be there. He believed he could compete with the best. As you remember in the part about Carmelo Anthony, he tells Oppenheimer, I'm going to bust Carmelo Anthony's ass. This is 2013 peak mellow. Um, so, you know, Giannis has long believed in himself, but yeah, I, I did not expect that reaction. <laughs> also real vetman candidate, Carmelo Anthony. <laughs> Don't release that excerpt. Well, now it's on the pod. Great. Now someone's gonna someone's gonna if that wasn't already in the in, in an excerpt, that's gonna get aggregated now. No, no, I, I trust lo- me. Once you read the book, you'll want Milo on the team. Yeah. Tired of getting aggregated. <laughs> I don't like this. I was gonna say that's why that's why when you get aggregated, it's really good stuff because you're not even trying. It's just like it's genuine. Sometimes people kind of force something, I think, to get aggregated and get that news bump. You just drop fire and people are like, oh, this part is extra fire. Let's and it's slander. The internet loves slander, but <laughs> it's not your fault. That is I, I do think it speaks to an interesting part about Giannis and that it, it reminds me of kind of the Steph Curry humble discussion a little bit, and that like yeah. he is humble for an NBA superstar. But to do the stuff those guys do, you can only be so humble. And of course, like one of the coolest things about Giannis, I think, is he is, I think, a genuine guy. I don't know if humble is even the right word. And like, I think there was so much noise made about when he said KD is the best player in the world after the Nets series going okay. into the playoffs. Nobody remembers this now, but he said, like, I don't know if it'll be different when we play the Heat this year. And people who don't really know Giannis took the quote and ran with it of like, oh, he's self-doubting and everything else. I think Giannis is just like, un- it's unnerving to some people how just like straight up he is and just like, mm-hmm. maybe it won't be different. I don't know. But that that's not signaling 
any doubt in himself or his team. He's just like this incredible realist, I feel like, who is just like always going to tell it how it is. But I think the Batum thing makes sense because I, I bet Giannis wouldn't have said he's better than Batum that year. It was about if I'm like if I'm only going to be Batum. And I think right. that's the thing with Giannis is he always saw down the road I will be there. He's probably he was probably thinking when he said the KD thing, he's the best player in the world for now. Like it wouldn't surprise right. me at all if that was in the back of his head during that quote. This is why I didn't take the Batum thing as slandered. No, I don't think so. Even, Thank you, Rohan. Thank you. <laughs> even though it comes off as slanderous, I don't think it was meant to be slanderous. The way I interpreted it is that when Giannis took this journey and he wanted to, you know, and he's in the NBA, he's not going to the NBA to be Nick Batum. He's going there to be the greatest. Yes, and thank you. Nick Batum, incredible player, especially at his peak. Just great. Was never the best player in the league. Not even close. Never even in the discussion. If anyone had those thoughts, just watch basketball. It's just, sorry, now Hello. I'm slandering Nick Batum. Yeah, so now, now, there is slander. And you're more so slandering... I'm sure there's some account out there, Nick Batum, Stan, or whatever. Like if that don't, person. If, if, don't invite it, Ty. Just let it <laughs> no, Ty will get the tweets anyway. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nick Batum season wants to come at Ty. It's like, it's, it's all good. But, but that's the way I interpret it. It's he wants to be like a Pantheon player. Yes. He doesn't want to be a Nick Batum. So I don't think it was slander. It came off exactly. as slander, but I don't think it was slander. That's why I was annoyed because I was like, Giannis wasn't dissing him. He just, he, he, it's, it's essentially saying like, I want to be the best to do it. And I have high aspirations for myself. Like it, yeah, but that's what happens with the internet. You know, people don't, it, it wasn't like a current quote. And then some aggregators acted like he just said this yesterday and didn't even put you know, didn't even bother to read it and say, yeah, this was back in 2014. So that's why I just hate that stuff so much because it's just not responsible. (laughs) If we're talking about stuff that's already been released, there's a, there's been talk about Jason Kidd and his story (laughs) in Milwaukee. She just laughs. That's amazing. (laughs) So, uh, this is a buck centric podcast, obviously. Um, Jason Kidd, and uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, the fandom, not the greatest of relationships, I would say. Would We're you not say that, big fan. We're not big fans, generally. There are a few rare exceptions. As a majority. Yeah. Yeah. Just not, not on the greatest of terms. So when it was announced and just like even leading up to it the years prior, it's like, oh, he's in the running for this job. He's in the running for this job. It's like, okay, have fun with that. That'll be a good, good job. Good job. Great on you. And it's just like, he gets hired by the Mavs and Bucks fans are just like, when, when does Luca want out? <laughs> you know, when is that going to happen? How do we get Luca on the Bucks? This is fantastic because Jason Kidd and this Bucks team have such a fractured relationship. And a little bit of that is, uh, explained in in the book and some parts have come out when you were researching and like getting information on this how did you sort of digest that information be like oh was Jason Kidd actually like a bad coach Milwaukee were his methods really that bad how did you sort of interpret what you learned along the process well I think for me it was holding two things at one time 
you know, you can both say that Jason Kidd was instrumental to Giannis's development and correctly identified that he is great going to the basket and he should just go downhill and do that um, and could be effective as a hybrid point forward type of player. But at the same time, his methods were really manipulative and destructive. And, you know, as you both have read, there's so much more than in that excerpt um, that really show that it, you know, the way he approaches things just really goes beyond the pale at times. And, you know, Giannis didn't always agree with Jason's methods. And so, you know, for me, when you're writing a book that's like 120,000 words, you have to flesh out each person in his life. You know, the the first coach that ever discovered Giannis, Spiros Nazis, he's a character. Jason Kidd, he's a character. Um, the mom, character, like every single person has to be fleshed out. And, you know, I think with Jason Kidd, because he was such a fantastic player, um, people just kind of, for whatever reason, haven't fully explored the approach to coaching. And I think as society has evolved and more people have become aware of his transgressions off the court, there's been new discourse about him and how he thinks and operates. And um, for me, I was just trying to understand like, is the way that he treats other people the same as the way he treats Giannis? What what good things did he do to help him? And what were things that were, you know, not necessarily helpful? So I was just trying to hold all of the complexity in there at once. I do think one of maybe the most under underappreciated aspect of Budenholzer, especially before this playoff run, where now myself, Rohan, a lot of other people are just like, he, he got better. He improved as a coach. They won a championship. But before all that is as a person kind of seems the inverse of kid. And that's sneakily like a great course correction by the bucks because we had Johnny O'Brien on the pod last year, I think to talk about the 15, 16 team, which they go to the playoffs in 15 Giannis, of course, you know, Spears Dunleavy deservedly. So Michael Carter Williams <laughs> had dental issues because of him in that game. But, um, and then 15, 16, you know, they, this should be the year, you know, year two um, Jabari and, of course, signing Greg Monroe and MCW as uh, another year. And it all goes terribly. They, they're, they're just they're not good. And there was chemistry issues. And I just think everything about kind of the the whole kid, like the way the kid era started even was, mm-hmm. you know, Larry Drew is at Jabari's initial presser and then he's unceremoniously fired because – kid advocates to take the job because his power play in Brooklyn doesn't go well. And we know all the off court stuff. We knew about it because he was a star player. I think, I think, and well, I guess, I mean, Chauncey was good when his, when his case happened as well, but it just wasn't reported on the same, I guess. But, um, and that, and the fact that, you know, the house Larry drew who maybe not the greatest coach, but seems like a a genuinely good person who was good for Giannis and in year one, that's covered in the book. And then all the stories. And I think most fans have honed in number one on the jump shooting. If you go look Mm -hmm. at Giannis's rookie year, he's a pretty good shooter. He's got a good form. He's never gotten back there. I think he did get much better at going to the basket. You know, kid certainly helped some of that development. 
my personal take, knowing all I've read, a lot of it in your book about Giannis, I think he's going to be an MVP pretty much no matter who coaches him. Like, I don't think anyone was stopping that guy. Kid did play a part in developing him, but I just think there was, it was like just a slimy vibe. And I think it did translate to some of the, you know, the disappointment of that, that team that should have been quite good and just wasn't like, I don't think they were happy. They traded a bunch of veterans and Giannis and Chris were not ready to step up. And I'm just, I'm so glad I don't have to root for a Jason kid team anymore. I didn't even mention the drink. The, the hit me. What does he say? Hit me. Is that what he said? Run into me. Ty, Ty Sean Taylor, I think. Yep. The oh player God. in Brooklyn, like he cheat, like cheating on the game. Like, I'm just so glad. I actually do feel bad for the Mavs folks. They weren't that annoying about trying to court Giannis before he resigned. And I just, the way Luca is, I mean, stuff was coming out about kid in Milwaukee. Yeah. We've heard stuff come out about Luca and Rick Carlisle in Dallas. Like Luca is yelling at Rick Carlisle in the middle of games and people is I just can't imagine what's going to go down between those two next season. I just don't understand in the sense of like there's so many amazing candidates out there and I just I literally don't understand how you know it I I guess my cynical brain can understand how he would get a second chance given his off-court transgressions because of the way as a society we don't value women. And I I can see that a hundred percent happening. But like players literally do not like him. They don't. I've never had so many people say, Mirren, I need to go off the record, or like <laughs> I don't want to talk, or like. You know, it's complicated. I I just want to make sure I'm not portrayed in a negative light. And, <laughs> um, you know, I've just, ne- and then, and then, you know, Jason Kidd obviously declined to comment for the book. And so, which is not surprising, but um, yeah, when he was hired, I was just like, hmm, that's interesting. I wonder, you know, because again, like, I think I'm able to hold both of these things at once that I can respect old school methods that try to motivate people. But, you know, I think once people read, like, for example, the Larry Sanders anecdote in the book, they're just going to be like, wow, you know, maybe if we were looking at Larry Sanders through a 2021 prism, um, totally have a different reaction. Yeah. That's what I was going to bring up. I'm glad you brought it up. Just, uh, just think Larry Sanders when you think of Jason Kidd when you read the book. <laughs> Just and that that'll tell you all you need to know, realistically. Yeah. <laughs> I think I mean not not to talk too much about Kidd, but I think the worst part, the Mavs of all organizations to bring yep. on someone like right. that. Like right. uh, the the org among all others, and uh, Portland's getting close, but that simply should not be able to skate on any questionable characters given what's happened there in years past right. and it's ah, it's a it's tough. Like I genuinely feel for like fans of the team who obviously have no control over this and just want to cheer for the team. Like I feel more for you know victims involved in these various scandals and, and cases. But it is tough that oh we have Luca, it's great, and this huge scandal of horrible management comes out and th- that sucks. And then oh Jason Kidd's going to be our coach and he hasn't been a good coach or a good person. It's like, it's 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 tough, but yeah, certainly I think now you can understand if you didn't initially 
why the Fire Kid Abby was like three fourths of Buck's Twitter by the end. Do you know about the Fire Kid Abby? Did this come up in in the research? No. no. Oh, like everyone's profile picture on Twitter was the same circular graphic of like an animated kid face, and it was hashtag Fire Kid. Oh my like god! Like it spread like wildfire on Buck's Twitter. Like I think everybody it, it, was out. It originated on Reddit, right? I'm sure it did. It seems wow. like I wish I. We'll have to look and in, in the description or something. Give a nod to whoever first made it, but. Like there were so many, like you couldn't tell accounts on Twitter apart because everybody had that picture and a lot of them had hashtag fire kid in the display name. This is how long ago that feels to me. Kid gave an interview to Howard Beck. Do you remember that article for Bleacher Report right after the firing? And Kid like oh, legit comment. Yeah, he like commented, like it was, I think that, to me, that's an artifact of, of like media circa whenever that was 2016. <laughs> Jason Kidd would never do that interview now. Um, and it, it speaks to Beck's uh, expertise and all around awesomeness. But yeah, I, when I saw that, I revisited it for the book. I was just like, oh my gosh, imagine, imagine him commenting today. You know, it just wouldn't happen. They just ignore it completely. Just ask uh, Dan Gilbert. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That, we haven't heard from that whole org in quite a while. Yeah, I, I forgot. He kind of threw – it was a bad look for Giannis because he basically right. told Howard Beck that Giannis didn't want to see me go or something, which right. I think that every time a story comes out, you know, someone the Bucks could probably should trade. It's like, oh, he's close with Giannis. Almost everyone who's been on the team, maybe everyone yeah. who's been on – except for early days Chris, was quite close. Like Giannis loved MCW. Giannis loves a lot of guys. Right. It just happens. I just think that's, I think if, when you go to war with Giannis for long enough, that's just how it's going to be. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, but yeah, I forgot that ended about as poorly as it started. <laughs> Your new Dallas Mavericks head coach, everyone. <laughs> no, oh. no one else. No one else. Literally like seriously. Yeah. Come on. Like David Vanderpool, uh, Becky Hammond. Yeah. Oh, wait, you could get the Celtics job. Yes, right? yes. Yeah. Okay, good for yeah. him. He seems like he's going to be awesome there. Um, I guess quickly, um, I think this was all the questions we had written down. Rohan might have more. But I want to – because I kind of mentioned Giannis and Chris a couple of times. I think there uh, certainly it's covered in the book that their relationship wasn't great and then they kind of – they grew together and, and everything else. You know, what was it like watching – and of course, the main focus is Giannis, but the the other guy who's been there that long on the team, what was it like watching Chris? Do you feel any uh, attachment there? And and what are your, just your thoughts on on Chris Middleton, who's now again unimpeachable NBA championship or champion, which rules? He was so fantastic. I mean, there were so many times where I was like, "Oh my God, no! You're the MVP!" You know, I was just <laughs> like, "Give him the votes!" You know, he was just so good. Um, it's funny because I always think about that scene in the book. Um, I guess I won't go into it too much detail. I'm sure we'll bring it up next time. But basically, Kid is like, who's the best player on the team? And, you know, um, Middleton was the leading scorer at the time. And and Giannis was just, everyone was like, uh, Middleton. And Giannis was just silent. And Kid was playing these mind games to get Giannis to say, I'm the best player. And he finally does. And you know, it was a turning point for Giannis to assume that leadership, but it also motivated him because he spoke it out loud. So now he had to go back up his words with actions. But I think after that point, you know, him and, and Middleton really learned how much they need each other. 
and there doesn't have to be one leader. And Giannis can actually express more leadership by trusting his teammates and uplifting them and listening to them and supporting them. And he's done that amazingly. Um, you know, Middleton, like they were both babies in 2013 to 14. Those pictures are just unreal, you know, and to see that, you know, Giannis gets so much credit for saving the the Bucks and, you know, his stellar play and morphing into a superstar helped this franchise stay and not leave like the Sonics. But, you know, Middleton is really the unsung hero that gets no credit in, in that context. He also has been a hell of a player these last, you know, five, six years. And I don't think Milwaukee, you know, would stay if he too hadn't ascended the way he did. And I wish he would get more credit for his role in building up this franchise because he is so much a part of that as well. So you were a Chris finals MVP guy for a period of time when he was, when he was knocking him down, I was like, Oh my God. You wrote the book on Giannis. (laughs) I just wanted Chris to get his props. He was killing it. Is it? Oh, it sounds like it's like me with the. I wanted Wes Matthews to get one all defense (laughs) vote. I didn't think he, I didn't, I knew he wasn't going to make a team. One vote. He deserves some recognition. Um, He was killing it, you guys. I I think, I don't think anyone would bristle at that. I think Rohan jokingly did, but for not the Batman Robin narrative that became a thing during the playoffs. And I think it's, I think it's actually, it ties into what you just said about how Giannis kind of evolved and, and was able to trust his teammates more. We talked about, we've talked about on the pod a lot. He played more like a center as the playoffs right. went on. It's really hard to tell a back-to-back MVP. You need the ball less. You need less right. shots. You need less shot creation. It's so hard to do. It's harder to actually have the guy do it than it is to tell him. And I think they kind of turned that whole dichotomy on, on its head because Giannis was finals MVP. He was clearly the best player. Chris was handling the ball in a lot of the, and hitting the big shots in a lot of those situations. And I just think, again, it speaks to both of their characters, the fact that they had spent all those years together, that they like they just ignored it the whole time. They didn't care at all. Maybe my favorite Chris thing is in the post game. somebody asked him, like, you know, I think it was Eric Names. I think he was like, I know you probably, I know you've always said you don't care, but does it feel good to prove these people wrong that didn't think you could do it? And he literally was like, I, I still don't care. I, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't get satisfaction from that. I don't care about that. I'm just happy we won a championship. But I think it's just so cool that those, like they were able to be so egoless in a way. Like Chris wasn't going to go be like, I am Batman. And Giannis wasn't, you know, perturbed about the comments. Like they were winning. It's just such a cool thing. I love that that's how they did it. I mean, one of my favorite aspects of Giannis's game is his passing. Like, I love the way he facilitates. I just, I think he's so gifted, you know? It's, uh, yes, he's dominant. I love when he does like a crazy dunk or Euro step, but I just, I love when he passes the ball. I think it's so awesome. He's just a completely different modern day superstar. There's just nobody like him. One of one. That's what we've uh, yeah. we've been saying for so long. One of one. Uh, do I have any more questions? Let me check. I'm spent, so it's it's up to you here, Rohan. But I mean, <laughs> I, I think I, if we could selfishly probably sit here all day and and dive in, but I'm very proud of us for not doing too much. Tell us about more. Like, tell us the story behind this anecdote because 
I do. I can't wait to just focus solely on the book, but one week after championship, I'm glad that we could, you know, really cover all that stuff that, you know, the book has, has been written for a while. It wasn't able to include the championship in the book at this point. And in, in the first book, I'm going to keep prodding <laughs> for the sequel, but, um, but no, I think it's great to, to hear your thoughts on all of this, Mirren, and just how you, you know, your perspective and, I just, I just love that you were living and dying with the Bucks like the rest of us. Like I just think it's fantastic. Well, Ty, I need to tell your listeners something <laughs> that you were my first call for the book. And it's because I respect you so much. And when I was thinking of the Bucks and I was like, oh my God, this is such a daunting task. I'm not a Milwaukee beat reporter. <laughs> I thought of you, you know, we were internet friends and it was just like very cool to talk with you. And, um, yeah, and I love what you both do, and and you know it's cool now meeting you too, Rohan, and and you know just listening to your pod. I listened to it right after they won because <laughs> I wanted to like see how elated you two were. <laughs> uh, we definitely were. Um, appreciate the the kind words um, so much as always, Mirren. Um, I do fact- have one more question. Well, you can. Okay. Because I feel I'll, like there's I'll, I'll, I'll throw the rest of my stuff. I wasn't, I wasn't doing an outro, but it's fine. Oh, you were? Oh, okay. No, no, no. It's, you're the <laughs> outro. Rohan, you do the outros. We all know this. Oh, he did, the, he did the dramatic lean back. Listeners can't oh see Oh, my he's, God. He's out of the screen. This is a legendary maneuver by Rohan Cody. He's leaning all the way back. <laughs> um, but I, I thought it was uh, – I was very honored. The When you first – when we first, we had a phone call to talk about just like the honest and you let me know. And it was like – Felt like I had like a, a CIA secret mission. So it was like, <laughs> can't tell anyone about it. this is under wraps. Like Giannis doesn't know we're doing so this. Paranoid. Books. I mean, that's not an easy person to get a hold of. He's genuine and also has found a way to be guarded, which you kind of have to do when, when you're literally Giannis. But um, the fact that, uh, well, I won't spoil that part yet, but um, it's a very cool book. There's one <laughs> passage I'm very, very particularly fond of, but Oh, um, I know which one you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, but uh, but no, it, it was great. And just, I was so, honestly, when I found out, my first take was not that, like, oh, it's great that I'm so happy I, I get the call or whatever. It was like, I'm so happy Mirren is telling the Giannis story. Because, you know, there's gonna there's already more championship books that are being published or out, and a lot of great people. But known as the, before becoming a, a biographer, you know, the feature queen, it told so many great oh. stories. We first met after the LaMelo story came out when you literally went to Lithuania to cover right. LaMelo over there and just like such a great storyteller. And I was just like, this is going to be awesome. And I was right. And it's awesome. So everyone pre-order the honest book. Thank you. Yes. I, I genuinely cannot follow that up. Uh, <laughs> but it's. <laughs> well, but, but you have a quote. Oh, no, you're going to now see now I did it to you. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, I did have a question. Oh, I forgot about that. Uh, <laughs> um, just you went through this this experience, and I'm sure we'll get into this on our next pod. Just a little teaser. How how much does this take a toll on you as a person trying to handle these all of these stories at one time? Not just as a writer, but as like a human being. Yeah, you know, also doing it during a pandemic was. You know, I mean, first off, let me just say, I'm a very lucky human. This past year, a lot of people lost jobs. I got a second job in writing this book. So absolutely no complaining and realizing my privilege there. Um, 
You know, I think that I was really daunted, honestly, at first, and I wanted to do a great job. And Giannis is a superstar. And I was 28 years old. And I was just like, can I do this? Um, and the pandemic happened and we were all just faced with so much anxiety. And I, I actually took a lot of refuge in reporting on Giannis. It brought me so much joy. Um, I would just spend hours waking up early in the morning, talking to people. Um, it was their nighttime in Greece. And when I would do a three hour interview and get one anecdote, I would just feel killer joy. Like I couldn't really go anywhere. I couldn't leave my apartment. I wasn't seeing any humans. It was just me and my recorder and my notebook. And honestly, um, as much anxiety as it brought on and as hard as it was, because I only had a year to do this. And my publisher put me on a 20,000 a word a month deadline. And I, and I changed jobs during the pandemic (laughs) considering all of, and I was just dealing with general like isolation living by myself in a pandemic. I felt really lucky to have this project and it really just brightened my spirit because you could not write about a more lovable person. And I just, it also made me like really fall in love with book writing and like, I want to write multiple books, you know, like it just made me be like, so hyped, like what's the next one, you know, and (laughs) and what do I do? So, um, yeah, it's just, it was, it was really, I don't think there will be anything harder than this working in another language with a translator in a pandemic over the computer with one year, not knowing where your guy is going to go for free agency, all this trauma. Um, and I would do it all over again if I could. <laughs> that was like, like Kanye vibes before everyone hated him. Like five, what is it? Five beats a day all summer for three right. summers. Right. Like, right. wow. I, I didn't even thought of, you know, doing, I, I thought of it a little, but wow. What a, what a pro I had not thought about the translator aspect. That is uh that is certainly a unique and it's actually fitting for once, you know, b- book writing process, but right. hats off. Cause you definitely crushed it. Thank you. I'm so excited 100%. for our second pod. You guys, I, I mean, hello, I'm excited. <laughs> oh, me too. I have plenty to talk about there. <laughs> Or to ask, because I don't know the answers, and I genuinely want to know. Um, yeah. But like seriously, I ask that question. It's 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 good to get the human experience for it too, because that's again, like I mentioned earlier, that's what I took from this book. It's a book about the human journey, about the human experience. Everyone who reads this book will be able to find at least one aspect where you're like, I can learn something from this. I can take something away from this. So even if you don't care about basketball at all you will still find love in this book. It is an incredible story. It's incredibly well-written. It could not be told by anyone else besides the best storyteller in the NBA, because that's what this is. It's you're, you, it's a story being told. And that's what the most important is thing is. And uh, everyone, make sure you go pre-order the book. Giannis, The Improbable Rise of an NBA MVP. August 10th is when it's released. You can pre-order now. Wherever books are available, buy it for you, buy it for a friend, buy it for your parents, buy it for everyone. Make sure you cook those books. Yeah, literally. Yeah. Cook them. yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I like it, Rose. <laughs> just make sure you get those sales up because it, it, it is 100% deserved. You will enjoy this. You will feel all of the emotions <laughs> while reading this book. It is absolutely incredible. I cannot say enough about this. Cannot wait for the second podcast. 
make sure you not only buy the book, check out all of Mirren's writing at the ringer, which is incredible. Thank you. It's uh you just it's it's hard to, it's hard to find a better person to root for in this business. So uh mm. thank you for your time and thank you all to the listeners. Wow, I'm stumbling for listening to this episode of the Eurostep here on the Eurostep Podcast Network, as well as the Blue Wire Podcast Network. If you did enjoy the show, make sure you leave a five-star review on Apple, wherever you can. I think it's just Apple that does reviews. Make sure you subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. And again, those five-star reviews, I'm going to mention it again. An international one, right? Uh, let me look. I'm looking right now. Uh, as I look, Mirren, do you have a feature coming up to plug? This is usually, uh, we would think to do this earlier, we're so book-focused. Rohan mentioned it. You're still writing features as well. Is there anything in the works uh, to, oh uh, to talk about? I have a NBA draft feature tomorrow oh. coming out. So today, as people listen to this, so go find go find Mirren's features. So yeah, I'd love if people could read it. It's been a, a on a prospect or just the whole draft. Yeah, yeah, it's on a prospect. Ooh, so. Okay. That's, That's coming exciting. out tomorrow. It's been it's been the crazy again. You said at the beginning of the pod, like it's been a week. I'm like, has it? Because I published, <laughs> I wrote two features, and I've been doing all these interviews, and I'm like, I don't know what time it is. Where's what is it? Dinner? Like I just don't even know what. <laughs> That's that's awesome. I can't wait to read that either. Unfortunately, given that you're profiling them, probably not someone the Bucks will get at 31, but still going to be a, a great feature to, to check out. We have a review from Greece, which feels very fitting given this podcast. I don't think I've read this one. If I, if I have, oh, well, it's worth it. Uh, Kevin underscore Jim via Apple podcast from Greece writes, it's five stars, of course, only gets read if it's five stars. Folks, leave a five-star review and rating on Apple or wherever you listen, but mainly Apple. It helps us the most. Um, best Bucks podcast out there is the subject line, starting strong. I love everything about this pod and its hosts. What an awesome route. Thank you, Aww. Kevin underscore Jim. Very nice of you. Didn't even say any of us are hit or miss, which is appreciated. <laughs> you guys uh, are awesome. and <laughs> You should know that. Okay. Thank you. Maybe this was Mirren's <laughs> review. So I'm through a Greek, Greek VPN. <laughs> the burners okay <laughs> uh, yeah, no that is that is a great review thank you for that and again make sure you leave your own review so you can get get that read out here again make sure you're subscribed on your podcast platform of choice pre-order the book i can't emphasize that enough check out mirror's feature that is coming out today as you're listening to this make sure you find that check that out thank you all for listening go bucks they still won the title still enjoy that and we will talk to you next time